Welcome to the Church of the Living God, Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. So a recap from last week. We, we really laid a foundation last week on the concept of community. So the class is called Community Fitly Joined Together. So what we talked about last week was that community is defined as a group of people living in the same place or having one characteristic in common. So a community can be a geographical location, but it can also be a, a value system. It can be um, a, a lifestyle. It can be any of that. That's considered a community. Uh, so we, we also talked about how that God exists in the original community, the Trinity, as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are eternally co-equal in ability and deity, divinity, that would be another good word, yet they live in willful submission to one another. The Son is in submission to the Father, the Holy Spirit is in submission to the Son and the Father, and the Father in exalting the Son and giving Him a name above even the Father's own name. That tells us that in Philippians 2, that because Jesus humbled Himself unto death, the death of the cross, that now God has given Him a name that is exalted above every name in heaven and earth and under the earth. So God chose to willfully exalt the name of His Son even above His own name. Uh, so there's this, this relationship in the Trinity that is a give and take. It's, it's equal in ability and divinity and eternity and all these things, yet they choose to submit and live in relationship uh, with each other. So uh, that, that's on last week's message as well. We talked about how that mankind was created to be in community with God, uh, to have his own community to enlarge his capacity or a family, and then that man was given a community under his dominion to live out his purpose through, which was the creation. So mankind, when we were made, we had God above us as a community, we had our family around us as a community, and then we had creation under us as a community. And so the purpose flowed down that way, the purposes of God through the man out into creation. So those were the, the communities that we were created in. Uh, mankind, unfortunately, could not sustain itself in that community. We chose sin over, over relationship and community. So then we had our greatest attempt at community outside of God's will, or outside of God, was the Tower of Babel. That's in Genesis chapter 11. And I, I say our greatest attempt at community because of the unity amongst the population. The vast majority of the people in the world at that time were totally united in their purpose and in their language. We have had greater empires and greater endeavors since then, but never to the degree of the population, right? At this point, almost everyone alive united together to build the Tower of Babel. And that's when, of course, God showed up and, and, and God remarked at what they could do. Uh, their unity of language and goals were not the issue it was their rebellious heart and desire to accomplish something in direct opposition to God's commands. So we, we talked about how that God took notice of their unity of language. He said, he said, there will be nothing impossible to them that they imagine to do. They will do anything that they set their minds to when they're this united. So the problem was not them being united. The problem was not them speaking the same language. The problem was that their heart was to do something against God. They were going to build a city and a tower that would reach into heaven. And they said, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us build a city. And they built this city and they pitched it, the Bible says. And the, the term pitch there is waterproofing. 
waterproofing. So they put waterproofing on it. Why? Because they didn't believe that God would never send another flood. God gave the rainbow, remember, as a covenant, a sign that, we, that he would never again destroy the earth by water. And yet they did not believe him. Therefore, they built this city and they pitched it to make it waterproof in case God lied to them because they didn't believe him. So you see where their heart was. Their heart was rebellious. They wanted a name for themselves. They did not trust God. And so, of course, God had to show up and intervene. And this is a nutshell version. You'll get all the detail of it on last week's episode on the podcast, okay? Um, God spoke of his people through the prophets. Moving ahead, he, he, he tried to reinstitute community through Abram and through his descendants. And he spoke of his people through the prophets, an indicator that he was trying to restore community between mankind and himself. Uh, God sends the door back to community uh, with him, and that door was Jesus. The door of the sheepfold from John 10, the way, the truth, and the life from John 14, 6. Jesus said, there's no other way to get back into community but by me. And then lastly, community with God not only makes us his sheep, but his children and joint heirs with Christ and each other. And that's in Romans 8, and that's where we're going to pick up uh, tonight. So this week, we have been brought back into community with God because of the plan of God the Father from the foundations of the world that was completed by God the Son while empowered by God the Holy Spirit. Now we're not just sheep, but also sons and daughters of God who have been brought back into the community for which we were originally made. This community now consists of the individual, the triune Godhead, the Trinity, and the countless other individuals who call him Lord. This is the community we're now in. What does this mean for us in relation to God and each other? Uh, Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. They are the sons of God. If we are led by the Spirit of God into God's community, we are the sons of God. This is why the distinction as sons only. Why doesn't God say and daughters? Okay. I wanted to bring this up because it's especially culturally relevant right now in our society. Uh, The majority of human history has been patriarchal and male-centric. Until the last 100 years in Western culture, women have historically had difficulty being acknowledged as equal with men and owning property, earning income, being contributing citizens, and especially in inheritance rights. So, I'm going to get ahead of myself. All right. For God to call us all sons is no accident. It is not an omission of daughters, but an elevation of daughters. Now, I don't say that in the sense that, oh, men are better than women. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that historically in every culture, men have had the power. They've had the property. They've had the money. They've had the, the, the rights. Okay, Our culture is unique in the world because women have more rights than they've ever had in any historical culture. Okay, But for Jesus and the apostles to elevate daughters to the level of sonship, was huge because nobody did that. Nobody believed that the daughters should be as honored as the sons. The sons were the ones who inherited the property. The sons were the ones that passed on the name, right? The sons were were where the power was. And yet when we come to Christ, it's not sons and daughters anymore. It's all sons. Amen. Ladies, you've been elevated to a place that what the world would not do in, in most of human history, God did through Jesus Christ, amen? And in God's eyes, he sees you all, and he sees us all equally, amen? How cool is that? 
How cool is that? I know that it's a stumbling block sometimes. I've heard, I've heard women say, well, you know, the Bible is, is chauvinist and misogynistic because it always talks about men. Well, that was, that was the culture of the day. It was the culture of the day. But Jesus showed up and he said, hey, you can be bond, you can be free. You can be Jew, you can be Gentile. It doesn't matter who you are, male, female, it doesn't matter. You're all sons of God with me. Amen. We are all joint heirs with Christ. Amen. We all get to inherit. Ladies, you get to inherit the same stuff we do. Amen. And vice versa. It's all equal. What a God. What a, what a forward-thinking God. Amen. Not a backward judgmental God, but a forward-thinking God who says, you know what, I've got daughters who've got something in them too. I've got daughters who have purpose in them too. I'm going to put something in them, and I'm going to bring it out of them. And they're going to have all the same status as my sons. How cool is that? I love it. I think it's awesome. While we know women to be as capable as men in most every respect, Jesus and the apostles were among the first to elevate women to the place of being joint heirs with men. In Christ, there is no Jew nor Gentile, no bondman nor free, and truly no male nor female. We all inherit and enjoy the same status before our Father together. Amen? And this is further supported in verses 15 and 16 of Romans 8. What a good God. Had you ever considered that before? Ladies, had you ever considered that before? Isn't that amazing? Men as well, we need to consider that. Verse 15 says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Cultural note here. The term Abba, Father was a Jewish term. It could only be spoken by a son of a full-blooded Jewish woman and a full-blooded Jewish man. So it's a cultural thing. People that were um, of mixed heritage could not call their father Abba, Father, even if he was Jewish and their mother was not. So what we see is we see a purification take place when we become adopted. The word adoption in the Greek, weathesia, I might have butchered that, means the placing as a son. So this proves what we just talked about, about God elevating daughters. This proves it because adoption means to place as a son. Why do you place a son? Why, why do monarchies place their sons? They place their sons, they position their sons for inheritance. They position their sons to advance the kingdom. And yet in this verse we see that God has placed us all through adoption, sons or daughters. He has placed us all in a position of sonship. We are in here as sons, amen? And furthermore, we have been grafted in. Excellent point. We have been grafted in to the original promise. That was only for the Jews. And now through Christ, it's for all of us. It's for all of us. So adoption, placing as a son or adoption of children or of sons. Verse 16 says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Children in the Greek, technon. It means a child as produced. I put that in there on purpose. A child as produced. Now generally with adoption... You don't get the as-produced part, right? Generally with adoption, you've still got to overcome heritage. You've got to overcome genetics. You've got all this stuff you've got to deal with. But when we have our experience with Christ and we are brought in, we are brought in not as stepchildren, not as second-class children, not as children with a whole bunch of baggage. Amen. He, he can handle all the baggage we've got, right? 
but instead we are brought in full status as if we were born to him. Amen. So what we're talking about tonight is that we have been brought into the community with God again, but now we're in community with each other. So what I'm trying to, to present to you right now is this idea that before God, we are all truly equal. He has no sons and daughters, no slaves, no servants. He, he sees us all the same. And that means we have to be aware of how we treat each other. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but everybody in here, Everybody who calls upon the name of Christ as their Lord and Savior, we all share the same status. That means the way we interact and deal with each other as a body has to be affected. Amen? All right. I know I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Heirs of God, heirs in the Greek, Kleronomos, Kleronomos means a partitioning, getting an apportionment, a sharer by lot, an inheritor, possessor, or an heir. So we know what an heir is. An heir is someone who uh, receives when someone passes, someone who receives an allotment, okay? So then it says, and joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs, sug Kleronomos, means a co-heir or an heir together. We've been placed as sons, which speaks to intentionality. God knew what he was doing when he made you a son. God didn't accidentally make anybody a son. He very intentionally placed you as a son. And he has very intentionally placed you for inheritance. He's placed you in this body for a reason. And not just the universal body, this body, this place, for a reason. Placed as sons, as children produced, not mere stepchildren or outsiders. We each have a portion, a partition, or a lot that is marked for us. Our inheritance is on par with Christ's inheritance in terms of access. What was Christ's access? Eternally with the Father from the beginning, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So God, Jesus, the Word, was with the Father. Adam, when he was made, was with the Father. He got to walk and talk with him in the cool of the day. Through our sin, we forfeited that community. We lost that. Now through Jesus, we have been brought back. We've all been given access. So we, we are co-heirs, joint heirs with Christ in terms of access. One day, we will eternally be with our Father. We will eternally live in our Father's house and do the will of our Father, just like Jesus is doing. So we have access to the Father because of Christ. As He was and is with, the, with His Father, so shall we be with the Father, restored to community. However, our glorification depends on our suffering with Christ. So while we all share the same status, we don't share the same suffering because we don't share the same office. Does that make sense? If you have any questions, let me know, okay? We, we have the same status as sons of God, but we are different parts working together from different positions, different offices, different levels of accountability, responsibility. That's a dirty word, isn't it? Responsibility. We don't like that word. As, as Pastor always says, and he always told me this growing up, you know, that, that uh, 
responsibility doesn't come with age. You can be old and be irresponsible. I'm sorry, you can be seasoned and be irresponsible. Of course, if you're seasoned, you're probably going to be responsible. Um, so you, you don't get responsibility with age. You get responsibility with the, ex, or, or uh, maturity with age, I'm sorry. You get responsibility as you, or you mature as you accept responsibility on yourself. Does that make sense? I butchered that, I'm sorry. So maturity is not just a number thing. Maturity is about accepting responsibility on yourself. So there are vast numbers of people in every culture, but especially in our culture, that are older that should be more responsible than they are, and they're not. Okay, therefore they're not mature. So we have been brought in. We have been given status. We have been given purpose as individuals. We have been made part of a community with God with his son Jesus, and with each other. But although we, we share the same eternal status with God, he sees us as sons. He, he's cast our sin as far as the east is from the west to remember it no more. He's buried it in the sea, the Bible says. So because of all that, we all share in that. That's, a, that's up to us. If we accept Christ, we all get that. Amen? But once we get that, once we come in, now we have purpose. Now we have responsibility. There's something for me that's just for me. And there's something for you that's just for you. So while we, we, we may occupy the same plane, but our function and our office in the body varies. It's different. Does that make sense? And you should thank God for that. Thank God for that. What if we were all being measured against Billy Graham's calling? Oh, man, none of us are getting into heaven. It's going to be Jesus and Billy Graham, the Holy Spirit and God the Father, and, and the patriarchs. That's all that's going to heaven. Because the rest of us are not there. We've not won millions of people to Christ, have we? We're not being measured against that. Likewise, you're not being measured against pastor's calling, or mine, or even your neighbor's. Paul said we don't measure ourselves against ourselves, right? We're, we're measuring ourselves against what Christ has put before us. He's got something for us. So thank God we occupy different offices and functions in the body. Thank God he sees us all as sons. But thank God he's got something tailor-made for me and for you and for you and for you and for you. And then collectively, we've got something we can do together. Amen? So remember, he placed us as sons. He intentionally put us where we are to do what he has purposed for us to do with our lives. For some of us, that might be not to get divorced for the first time in our family. For some of us, it might be to fix a divorce. For some of us, it might be to have kids that aren't nuts. Or to hold down a job. Or, or to overcome addiction. You see what I'm saying? The purpose of God doesn't have to be up here or holding one of these. The purpose of God is to show forth the family of God. Wholeness and completeness. Wellness, that's what the purpose of God is in his people. And thankfully, it's individual. And if it's individual, then that means we've all got something that we can achieve. Amen? We can all achieve it. If you're trying to achieve pastor's calling, you're not going to. He's got to do that. Now, collectively, we have a vision and a mission and all this stuff that he's put on us as a group, as this branch of the body, and we can do that too. If, if he can put something on you that is tailor-made for you, then he can put something on us that is tailor-made for us. We can be what God has called us to be. 
We can be in this body what God has intended for us to be. It is His purpose. It is His plan. That's why He has put us here. So we, we share this status, but we don't share the glory. Think about it. Christ's function was to be our sacrifice. Christ's function was to come and live a perfect life. Well, we're, all, we're done there. We've all messed that up. Christ's function was to die selflessly as us for our sin and for the sins of all people ever. So because he fulfilled his function, he has received glory that is unique to him. Amen? That's why, again, Philippians 2.9, that God has exalted his name above every name that is named in heaven and earth and under the earth. Because he fulfilled his mission. He fulfilled his purpose in the body. That means when I fulfill my purpose in the body, he's going to do something for me. Amen? He's going he's to give me glory to an extent that is for me and for you and for us. Amen? So because the son willfully sacrificed himself to achieve the purpose of the father to expand the family, when we choose to participate in that same suffering, that same mission, we're talking out of verse 17, that same suffering, then we also get rewarded. We get glorified when we choose to participate. Amen? And it is suffering, isn't it? We don't like that word. We don't like the idea of suffering. You know, as much as we suffer in a first world country where we have everything we need, you know, in India they're being beat up and killed and threatened and all this stuff. We're not yet. We're not. But uh, regardless, we, we still suffer for what God has put on us. So I want to make this point here. It says, that being said, there is not a believer you will ever meet that does not share your status before the Father. Church, we have to change our perception of each other. We have to. Listen, I've been in one church for 28 years. I've seen lots of people come and go through, through church. I've seen people have amazing encounters with God. Stuff that you're like, man. You almost wish you were bound just so you could experience the freedom. If that makes any sense. I've just seen some amazing things happen. And, and then seen the enemy sweep right back in and kick people's tail all over the place. Right? What we have to understand is there's not a person coming through here, not a person sitting beside us or behind us or around us, not a little snotty-nosed kid running around this place that does not share the same status with us that Christ has given us. Amen? We are part of a body together. We're joint heirs together. Why would he put us together? For a reason, for a purpose. He's doing something. That's why he put us here. What if the reason you're in this church is because you're going to play a part with what God, in, in what God wants to do in this church and through this church? What if you didn't just pick this place because you like the music or because your kids have fun in children's church? What if, what if you were planted here? like it says in Psalm 92, right? For such a time as this. What if you were put here for a reason? You've been fitly joined to this house because God's going to do something with this house, and for some reason, he's got something in you that's going to contribute. You've been fitly joined to this body because you've got something to supply. And likewise, we've got something to supply to you. Amen? It's going to flow down to you just like it's going to flow flow up to us or across to us, however you want to look at it. 
So there's not a believer you'll ever meet that does not share your status before the Father. They have the same access to the Father that you have through Jesus. They might have different levels of suffering, pain, persecution, sympathy than you. But they're all equally His just as you are. Therefore, we are not a disparate collective all out for ourselves. Amen? Somebody told me one time recently, fairly recently, they said, oh, you're getting better and better preaching. Uh, it's, it's not going to be too long before somebody snatches you up. Well, guess what? I'm not here to be snatched up. Amen? God didn't put me on earth to be snatched up and go chase a job. Right? God planted me somewhere. And, and why on earth am I going to leave the soil that I was made for? Amen? What if we change our, per, our perception of our placement from a, a, something that we are consuming from? Right? Because most people go to church because they get what if we change that, our perception to say, I don't go to church because I'm getting, I'm going to church because I'm planted there, and I'm growing because I'm planted where I need to, where I need to be. You don't, you've heard me say this, you don't plant a cactus in the tundra in Alaska. It's not made for the tundra, amen? When God plants you somewhere, he puts you there because it's that soil that you'll grow in. It's that soil that you will spread out and, and spread up and flourish in. Like it says in Psalm 92, those that are planted in the courts of their God, those are the ones who flourish. Amen. This is a court of our God. And there's like 80 courts all around this town, this community. And there are people in every single one of them who were planted there because God had a reason for it. God put them there. We don't go just to get. Amen. We go because that's where God planted us. There's a connection there. My roots are the same kind of roots as as their roots. My roots are the same kind of roots as your roots. Amen. We're going to bear the same kind of fruit. We might bear it at different levels and different seasons, but we've got the same kind of fruit in us because we have been placed intentionally by our Father. Amen. Amen. No plant will survive by being transplanted every other season. doesn't happen. doesn't happen. And you're going to damage the plant and the pot and the fruit and everything else along the way. Uh, we're, we're not a, a disparate collective out for ourselves, unattached from each other, climbing over each other to obtain glory. Amen? Listen, I don't have to pursue glory. If I'm where God wants me to be, if I'm fulfilling the role that God has put in me, then God will glorify me. Amen? Glorify means to exalt. God will exalt me in, in due time. And again, as pastor, as pastor says, it's our job to humble ourselves and God's job to exalt us. If we do God's job, he'll do our job. If we try to exalt ourselves, then he will humble us because he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Amen? So when we are in the place that God has put us, we can be there and we can be secure and we can know, I don't have to, I don't have to obtain glory. I don't have to obtain status. We've got the same status. Amen? All I've got to do is reach the, the function that God has put in me. Are you with me? Am I losing anybody? Awesome. All right, good. There's function in you. There's a purpose in you for the body of Christ and for the kingdom. So we're in a body together. We're we're fitly joined together to achieve something. We share the same parentage, our Father in heaven. We share the same status, and we have the same glorious potential as we strive to suffer toward the cause Christ has put on us individually and collectively. We are joint heirs with Christ and with each other for a purpose. 
and with each other. If we are joint heirs with Christ, each of us, then we are joint heirs with each other. We got to start looking at each other like we're heirs. Amen? You know, we're heirs. We're all, we're all going to inherit a piece of this. As long as we stick around, we all get a piece of it. God's not going to withhold anything from us. If he'll give us his son, he'll freely give us all things. Why are we worried about status and, and glory and whatever else that we're worried about? Why are we worried about those things? If we get connected the way God has ordained for us to be connected or the way God purposed for us to be connected, all that stuff's going to happen anyway. All that stuff is going to fall into place. So let's move down to the bottom of the page. It says, our status through Christ unites us, Ephesians 4, 3 through 7. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity in the Greek, henates, it means oneness or unanimous. Unanimous, that's powerful. Endeavoring to keep the oneness, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Bond in the Greek, sundismos, it means a joint tie. It means a ligament. A ligament. Verse 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Uh, peace, also in verse 14, Greek word irene. I'm sorry, verse 3. Um, It means one, it means peace, or to set at one again. The outline of biblical usage uh, for peace is a state of national tranquility. It's peace between individuals, i.e. harmony or agreement. So in verse 3, we have really three key words, unity, bond, and peace. So we share status together with each other, making us one body empowered by one spirit with one hope of our calling individually and collectively. Unity through peace is what holds the one body together. Peace is the key. Now, remember, Jesus is the prince of peace. So we have peace that holds the body together like a ligament. Peace works as a ligament works, connecting us together, causing us to function for the benefit of the whole. Ligaments work in the human body by joining bone to bone. Ligaments are flexible and elastic to an extent, but can be torn. Have you ever heard of someone uh, tearing their ACL? That's a ligament in your knee. I, I watched a YouTube video just to make sure I knew what I was talking about. And ligaments, they, they connect to bones. It's not like the tendons that connect muscle to bone, but it is connections between the bones. And so those things are absolutely vital. You, they can flex, they can bend, they can move, all these things. But you can push them too hard and too far. But the piece that holds this body of Christ together is meant to be flexible, okay? Peace is flexible. It can keep the body together through a great many traumatic events. The peace that holds the body of Christ together is sourced in the Holy Spirit. We are one body. Amen. What we need in this body is peace. Peace is going to tighten us together. Amen. Harmony, agreement is going to tighten us together. Now, I'm not saying that because I know that there's not peace. I'm not saying that at all. I think everything's fine. What I'm saying is that peace needs to be our priority. Peace should be the priority in the body of Christ. Well, but, but, but they said, 
Okay, they said that. Should they have said it? Probably not. Should you react like that? Probably not. Are we, are we going to cause a big issue out of something? Probably. Something that shouldn't be a big issue? Probably. Right? Peace. Peace needs to be in the forefront. Peace is what is going to hold this body together. Amen? We, it's a bond. It binds us together. Peace. we got to choose peace sometimes. Peace is flexible, but peace is a choice a lot of the time, isn't it? Isn't it? You ever met somebody who loves to fight? argue, debate, whatever term you want to use. They love a conflict. They love a conflict, right? We don't need that in the body of Christ. I'm not saying you can't ask questions or anything like that. You can always ask questions. If you got a question, pass the question up so answers can come down. Amen? Don't, don't pass them side to side because that's gossip. Right? Pass answers up. You want to know how much money we spend on something? Go ask. We don't care. It's your money anyway. Amen? But, but, Peace has to be chosen in intense moments where it's not the natural reaction. It's not natural to be peaceful when somebody's saying something they shouldn't say. It's not. So what we're going to get to here in the next couple weeks is what it looks like. What is, what is biblical church life? What does the Bible say we got to do when somebody's not being peaceful? What does the Bible say we have to do when someone is living in sin, open sin? So there's so much in there, and and truthfully, out of Romans 12 and out of Ephesians 4, I left out entire sections because I'm going to make that a whole week unto itself. But I want us to understand that we're in this body, right? We're we're not just sheep anymore. We're sons. We're in community with our Father. We share status, but vary in our function. And now we see that peace is the thing that will hold us together. Peace will hold us together. God, make your people people of peace. Amen. We serve a prince of peace. He's our big brother. Jesus is our big brother. So we ought to be people of peace, shouldn't we? We ought to be. Let us, let us make an effort. Let us decide within ourselves. I'm going to choose peace. I'm going to be like God. I'm going to choose peace. I was uh, in youth group one time. I was talking about not cussing because that's something you've got to talk about in youth group. And uh, I was talking about not cussing, and I was telling these kids how I, you know, I, I hadn't ever just gone off on somebody and cussed. And this kid looks at me, and he says, You're, you mean to tell me if somebody walked up and hit you in the mouth, you wouldn't just let an F-bomb drop or whatever? And I was like, I don't think so. I don't think so. I've never been in that situation where I'm going to make somebody so mad that they're going to pop me in the mouth, but I don't think so. And it was entirely otherworldly to him that, that someone could choose peace instead of conflict with their mouth, right? And, and I'm not bragging by any means because it's not, that's been tested a few times. <laughs> not been hit in the mouth, but stabbed in the back or, you know, abandoned or whatever term you want to apply to it. Either way, the fact remains that sometimes we're in an instant where it's not natural for peace to come, and yet somehow the, the Prince of Peace, amen, he steps in and he stands up within us and he causes us to say, you know what, I'm not going to be what I ought to be or what I want to be at the moment, I'm going to choose to be like him. Amen. And that's what we need, isn't it? We just need believers. We don't need believers who never encounter any adversity. We're not saying that. That's, that doesn't exist. Even Jesus faced adversity. We're saying, let's be believers that choose peace when we have the opportunity not to. Amen. Let's choose to live in that same kind of relationship that the, the Father and the Son and the Spirit choose, choose to live in. 
where, where sometimes somebody doesn't do something the right way, but we choose peace. Maybe somebody's had a bad week, and they let something fly out of their mouth that they shouldn't have. Or they put something on Facebook that they shouldn't have. And instead of joining in the debacle, let's choose peace. Amen? Let's choose peace. And we're going to get more into the details of how to live together like that. But the peace that holds the body of Christ together, or the peace is the bond that holds the body of Christ together and is sourced in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Let's go to Romans 12, verse 1. Is this okay? People taking notes? Good. We have to transform our mindset toward each other. As we said earlier, there's not a believer you'll ever meet that doesn't share the same status with God as you. God loves them as much as he loves you. And if you believe him to be the God that he is, then you have to believe that he loves even the craziest, most obnoxious person who calls him Lord. You have to believe that. And that's hard to do sometimes because people can be so so human. But we have to transform our mindset. Now, I want us to read Romans 12, 1 through 3, through the lens of the body of Christ, okay? Uh, Romans 12, 1 through 3 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So Paul makes the claim. He says, guys, submit your bodies to God, a living sacrifice. That's, it's reasonable that you live your life for him when he gave his life for you. It's reasonable. Verse 2 says, and don't be conformed to this world. Don't be like the world. Don't blend in. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt every man to every man the measure of faith. What jumped out at me in this is that we most often quote the first two verses here. And then we put a little paragraph symbol on verse number three and we start a new topic. But that's not how it was written. It was one continuous letter. This is a thought. This is one thought that Paul is having. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Don't be conformed to the world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I say to every man among you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Paul leads off by saying it's going to be a sacrifice, and it's going to require transformation and renewal for you to deal with each other in humility. Have you ever put those together? He's talking about how we interact with each other. It's going to require you to to sacrifice yourself, to sacrifice your will, to sacrifice your right, to sacrifice being right. It it is highly overrated. It's not fun being right all the time because that means you're right about bad things too. It's a sacrifice. He says, be ready. You're going to have to sacrifice. Lay down your life as a living sacrifice. You're going to have to renew and transform, renovate your mind. That word renew means to renovate. So that means you've got to tear out the old and replace it with something new. You've got to challenge your natural mentality and make yourself think of yourself lower than what you want to. He says to all men that are among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. We must present our bodies as living sacrifices. We must be transformed by the renovation of our minds 
It's our ways of thinking, our mentalities. In doing this, we prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, which is for us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. It's a sacrifice to do that, isn't it? It's countercultural to do that. Our society tells us to look out for number one. Our society tells us to do whatever it takes to take care of us and to take care of ours. But here God says through the Apostle Paul, lay down your life. Let me change the way you think about yourself. I'll take care of the rest of it. Lay down your life. Let me change the way that you think about yourself. Choose to think the way that I want you to think. The way that he wants us to think is that we're not up here above everybody else. We're not the most important thing in the universe. It doesn't all revolve around us. God doesn't revolve around us. Amen? If we choose to sacrifice ourselves for those around us, that means there's times where we've got to deal with each other in a way where we've got to say, you know what, maybe I don't know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe I just think I'm right. Have you ever thought you were right and then you weren't right? Later on you found out you weren't right. And you're like, oh, man, I messed that up. It happens quite often. The society, the world around us, consumes each other. Society goes against the will of God by tearing down and destroying individuals and families, whereas the body of Christ is meant to show unity and peace and edification or building up by being made up of people who have the correct perspective on each other. First, I've got to see myself the right way got to see myself the right way. If I allow God to change my mind about me, then he can change my mind about anybody. Amen? God, change our minds about ourselves. There are people that we will never reach until we allow God to change our minds. There are people in your family who will never see Christ until he changes your mind because you're not thinking about them the right way. So many times we, we, we go to people we care about that need, that need Jesus and we try to tell them what they need to do because we're up here and we see it better and we understand it better. And while that may be true that we understand more and we see whatever, I'm not saying that's not true. The problem is not that we're wrong. The problem is that we're, we're not doing it the right way. We've elevated ourselves and pushed them down. We've got a whole community of people that are already beat down. They don't need anybody else telling them how low they are. Amen? we got to lower ourselves. Let's not think of ourselves too highly, more more highly than we ought to think, but think soberly. Soberly is right-minded. Understanding that God's got a measure of faith for everybody. Good Lord. God's got a measure of faith for the worst of the worst. If he gave it to you, he can give it to them. So let's not be like the society around us and consume. Let's not be consuming Christians that consume each other. Amen? You, you know where the roughest place for, the roughest place in the world for a minister who has committed sin is the church. It's the church. You think you guys got it bad. Try being up here and messing up. It's hard. It, it's tough. And we're in a good house. We've not had anything major happen or anything like that. We've seen it happen, haven't we, to many great men and women of God. There's not, we don't, ministers don't get the same kind of grace that people in the seats get. Amen? 
And you know what? Sometimes we don't give that same kind of grace to our family members because they ought to know better. Right? We don't give that same kind of grace to those people, those, those knuckleheads down in children's church. We don't give them the same kind of grace because, well, we taught them better. And listen, we've all done it. We've all done it. I can't tell you how many times I've said, I look on Facebook and I see a kid that was in youth group for six years, and I see the, 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 the trenches that they're living in now, the gutter they're living in now. And I think, oh, my God, I thought, I know I told them better. I know I told them better. But you know what? Let's not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Amen? I mean, let's let God change the way that we see ourselves. And if he will do that for us, then I guarantee he will give us what we need to see them the right way. Amen? Let's go to the last page. I'm going to try to power through this in the next five minutes, if that's okay. Romans 12, 4 and 5. For as we have many members or parts in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. We are members of one another. Now when it says that we have members, many members, it's talking about parts, and when it says all members have not the same office, that means they don't have the same function. Amen? My, my, my pinky toe can't do what my thumb can do. But try walking without a pinky toe. It'll mess up my walk if I don't have my pinky toe in place. And then it's, it's not just going to mess up my walk, it's going to mess up my knee, and then my hips, and my back, and my neck, all the way up. You ever stubbed your toe that hard where you walk weird for a while? It messes up your walk, even the smallest thing messes up your walk. We've, we've got many parts in this body. They're all valuable. All of them working together is what stabilizes the body. Amen? Just because you're, you're not a mouthpiece like pastor might be. Sorry. Or like one of the preachers might be. Just because you're not a mouthpiece, just because you're not visible, just because whatever, it doesn't mean you're not valuable. Amen. We're all part of the body, and without any one part doing what it's meant to do, we're going to walk funny. And we're not going to be able to run right. We're not going to be able to climb over the things we're meant to climb over because our parts aren't working together. Parts aren't working together. So we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members of one another. If, if the littlest part of you has to work right to help you walk right, then that means it is vitally important that the rest of me protects the smallest part of me. The rest of me has to take care of all of me. So no matter what your role is, no, no matter what the person beside you, their role is, we are members of one another. And if I don't look out for them, who's going to? The world certainly won't. We are called to look after each other. We're a body. We're members of one another. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says, For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 14 says, For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Amen. That's the universal body of Christ, but you know what? That's the local body of Christ. You matter. You have a role to play, a part to fulfill. Without you, we're not going to walk where we ought to walk, or in the way we ought to walk. The way we ought to walk. 
We're not going to go as far as we ought to. How many houses of God are crippled because parts decided they were going to go go be a part somewhere else? Well, God didn't plant me here. Are you sure? You were there like 10 years. Were you wrong for 10 years? Right? If God planted me somewhere, why on earth would I leave it? And I don't just mean the church. I'm, what about my job? If God gave me that job, why would I leave it? Until he gives me another one. Amen. If he gives me another one, cool, sign me up. But if he gave that to you and you have no doubt about it, why would you walk away from it? If he gave you that spouse, don't walk away from them. But they're mean. Pray about it. Let God work on it. Amen. If, if you think God did it, you can't walk away from it. You shouldn't want, want to walk away from it. Amen. And those are, those are some extreme examples from one to the other. But we have all these options in our life that, that God gives us that we willingly walk away from. we got people running in lanes they weren't called to run in, fulfilling offices and functions they weren't ever meant to work in. And it's killing them, and they're wondering why. Because they're, they're part of a body they weren't meant to be a part of. They've been attached all weird. They're a thumb sticking out of an elbow. Or a foot on a head. I'm just picturing something weird. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's a silly example, but the fact remains, many of God's people are handicapped because the body is all disjointed and out of whack. Because parts are places that parts ought not to be. For the body is not one member, but many. Amen. Many. Thank God it's not all one. Because one couldn't do it. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. Set in the Greek, tethemi, means to place or to arrange. Again, God placed you there. You go there. That's where God puts you. If that's where God puts you, why do you want to be over here? Well, it's shinier over there. It's, it's better over there. Somebody's going to notice me over there. I don't know what your reason is. I'm talking about preacher reasons right now. I don't know what your reason is, but God placed you. God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him to, to please. Uh, pleased means to will, have in mind, or intend. Does God make mistakes? No. If he does something, it's by intention. Now, can God change a direction? Can God speak a new word? Yes, he can, absolutely. And there's ways to confirm that. Got to try the spirits that are talking to you. But if God sets something in place, the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him, he knows where you're at in the body. Did you know that? He knows what your function is. He puts you there because he thinks you can do it. As much as we believe in God, I think we forget sometimes that God believes in us. God believes in us. He put us here for a reason, to accomplish something and to do something together. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, that there should be no schism in the body. No schism. But that the members should have the same care one for another. Schism. It's a gap. There shouldn't be any, any breaks, any gaps. Anybody ever broken a bone? Oh, man. I broke my collarbone a few years ago, remember? Playing softball for the church. Made the catch. It still pops and creaks and does all kinds of stuff it shouldn't do. All kinds of stuff that the other one doesn't do. Right? There should be no schism in the body. 
Because when there is, stuff just doesn't work right. And when things don't work right, you can't do what you're supposed to do. Or you can only do it to an extent. You know the reason I don't play drums in church anymore is because of my shoulder. Do you know that? Because some of you, many, well, many of you probably don't remember me playing drums in church. I used to play drums for the praise team, and, and I don't do it anymore because it's not playing during church that hurts, but it's the three days after that it aches and it hurts down deep. There's a schism there, right? There should not be, let there be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Amen. We are members one of another. And lastly, Ephesians 4.16, from the whole body, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, makes increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. That's a lot of big words and a lot of fancy talk. Fitly joined together in the Greek means to render close jointed or to be fitly framed together. It means, church, that we have been put together compact and tight, on purpose, by someone who knew what they were doing. God put you here. It's no coincidence that God put you here. It's no coincidence that you're doing what you're doing. God fitly joined you together. He framed you together. I remember years ago, pastor bought a house and he flipped it, and we, were, we got to do demolition, which is the fun part. And I remember this old house, we tore all the walls out. We were launching hammers across the room and breaking walls down and all this stuff. And we got to the exterior walls, and the exterior walls were box-framed. Have you ever seen a box-framed house? It, was, it, it had, I don't know what they were, what were they, two-by-sixes? I don't know what they were. They were big, wide beams, and they were, they were kind of diagonal like that. And I'd never seen that before, and it was an old way of building houses. But part of the reason why that house was still around was because that thing was framed right. It was framed well. Somebody took the time and the effort and the money to do it the right way. And it was an old house, but it had new life in it because somebody framed it right. We are fitly joined together. We are fitly framed together. We have been put together in the right way that we may accomplish something as individuals and as a collective. That's what it's all about. We're part of a community with God. Amen but we're part of a community with each other. We're co- we are co-heirs and joint heirs with Christ, and we are co-heirs and joint heirs with each other. And if we care for one another, don't you think God's going to take care of us? Amen? We're talking about being a body, a community that is fitly joined together. We're, we're trying to disciple you to where you understand what church life is like because you know what? We've all had some different experiences in church life, and sometimes it's been pretty adverse. But let's talk about what the Bible says about how we ought to work together. Amen. How, how we ought to supply something from every joint to the other. How we ought to look after each part because we're part of one another. Amen. And let's see. If our, if our mentality will change toward ourselves and toward each other, what won't God do for us? What won't God do in this house? You think God won't send hurting people to a house who knows how to take care of its own? Amen. Hurting people need people to help them. So let them find a house that that helps each other, amen? Let them find a place where they can be taken care of and looked after. Let us change our mindset and bring ourselves down enough to say, you know what, maybe I'm not right, but I know who is right, and God can help them, and He can do anything for anyone who calls on Him. Together as a body, 
put together the right way. Let's see if God adds to us in a new way. Amen? You received that tonight? Let's pray. Thank you for listening today to Church of the Living God, Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you were blessed by today's word. If you'd like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.